morning. Before we consider these words further, I invite you to please join with me in prayer. Father, uh, we again look to you for help. Uh, we know that these words are not just human words. These words come from you. And they are spoken for our good. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts that are ready to be shaped, that you would use these words of Jesus to renew us and make us more like him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, this is the second part of these longer instructions in Matthew chapter 10 that if you were with us two weeks ago, you might remember Nick began preaching on, um, and the, the fantastic sermon. This is really kind of part two of that, so if you have not yet heard that sermon from two weeks ago, I invite you to go to our website, YouTube, or whatever to see it, because these two really kind of go together. And, and really, at the very heart of what we saw two weeks ago is that we see because Jesus cares, he sends. You might remember this just extraordinary moment where you see Jesus looking and seeing the brokenness and the lostness of people, and it says he has compassion on them. That idea can almost be translated, his heart breaks for them. The Son of God grieves as he sees our misery, and in response, he says, I see the brokenness of this world, and I have come to do something about it, and I am now sending you, you apostles, I am sending you out with the ability to change things. I am sending you out with a mission of compassion. And ever since that moment, really, that has been the church's calling. Ever since that moment, the church has been called to join with Jesus in a mission of compassion to a hurting world. From the moment, if you have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, if, you, if you've experienced his compassion, if you know his love for you, from the moment that you trusted in Christ, you were initiated into this mission. Whether you have realized it or not, maybe you've forgotten it, maybe you just feel like you really poured it, Jesus is sending you, even right now, out of compassion and love for the world, you are on a mission of compassion to help see the world changed. That's what we saw two weeks ago. And if that is the case, and I deeply believe it is, then it seems like it would be wise for us to listen to the rest of this passage, where, where Jesus tells us, all of us who are a part of this mission, here's what it looks like. This mission of compassion, and I, and I want to focus on just three things. It's a long passage, we can't see everything. But three things that Jesus tells us about the mission that he calls each of us on. And he says that this compassion that we are called to share must be a courageous compassion. He warns us it will be a costly compassion. But he encourages us in the reality that it will be Christ's compassion that we are participating in. A courageous compassion, a costly compassion, and Christ's compassion. First, Jesus says this compassion that we are to show to the world needs to be a courageous compassion. Why do I say that? Because the compassionate mission that Jesus sends on is a mission of witness. So when Jesus first, out of compassion, sends the apostles, he gives them very explicit instructions. He says, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. He is sending them, as he sees the brokenness of the world, to tell them, to tell them about Jesus, to tell the world about the kingdom. And then we see in our passage, too, when we get to verse 18, it says, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and before the Gentiles. When I'm sending you, I'm sending you on a mission of witness. And, and we know what witness is. We, we see in probably court dramas, court movies, we know that a witness is someone who speaks of what they have seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced to help other people know the truth. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I am sending you to be my witnesses. To, to let people know, to help them to know what you have seen, what you've heard about me, about the kingdom, so that they might know me. Now, it's not just a mission of witness. There, there also are, are actions that Jesus calls this mission of compassion to involve. Right as he sends them, telling them to proclaim, he also says, heal the sick, cast out the demons. He, he calls them to show these actions of mercy. And from, from that time onward, the church has recognized a key part of its work in this world is to do that, is to, to feed the poor. Like we were talking about last week, to, to care for the sick, to seek justice where there is injustice. This is why... There are many Christian food pantries, and so many hospitals have, have Christian names attached to them. Why, you even look at the 19th century, and this, the abolitionist movement in England was driven by Christians. There is this call to show mercy. And yet, it's really important to recognize that this mission of compassion that Jesus sends us on is not primarily about works of mercy, but about the witness These actions, as important as they are, Jesus is not only about alleviating temporary suffering. Jesus says, these actions that you're doing, they are meant to be illustrations. They're meant to be demonstrations. We are trying to show the love of Jesus so that people will hear about the love of Jesus. Because our mission is a mission of witness. Because Jesus cares too deeply about the brokenness of this world to only deal with the symptoms. I mean, here's something I think we probably already understand. It is not enough just to share resources and information. And think of all the different problems you've seen in the world and how many times you've seen different efforts of kind of throwing money at it, trying to throw education at it, and yet it seems like things are never getting better. And that's because it's never getting to the root issue. The root issue of poverty and brokenness is not just a lack of resources, it's brokenness of relationships. You can talk about brokenness of relationship between us and the world around us, where there is resource mismanagement, where there are addictions, where there is disease. You can speak of the brokenness of relationships between people. We think of corruption, distrust, injustice. This really is where the very cause of poverty is to be found, this brokenness of relationships where things are supposed to be harmonious. And and what the Bible says, and I wish we had more time to explore this, but I'll just kind of put it out there for right now. What the Bible says is that the only way to resolve these relationships between each other and between us and the world is to resolve the relationship between us and God. 
It is only as we are made right with God, as we are worshiping him, that we can start relating rightly to the world around us. And this is why when Jesus says, I see the brokenness of the world and I'm sending you out, he says, and tell them about me. Tell them about the kingdom I am bringing. Because this is where the hope is to be found. This is where the deep solution to the deep problems of this world is to be found by knowing Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who connects people to God. Because Jesus is the one who connects people back to each other. The deepest solution to the brokenness of this world is found in Christ. And that means if we really care, if we really care about the world around us, actions will never be enough for us. We won't be satisfied until they hear about Jesus. To be clear, it is absolutely important that we show integrity. It is absolutely important that we speak with humility, that we show a love, all of which shows Jesus to the world. But until we go the next step, our compassion is incomplete. We were talking about this actually two weeks ago. Maybe you'll remember um, when Nick was talking about this this pain point, and honestly, I, I felt like as he was talking about this, like pain line or pain point, he was he was talking directly to me, <clears throat> to me, which is kind of a, a gutsy thing for an associate pastor to do, but it was something I probably needed to hear. Um, if you weren't here, what he was talking about is is when we are in conversation with people. I mean, not every conversation. Sometimes, a, hello, how are you doing? How are you doing? You can't really talk to. You. Sometimes we have conversations with people that have this air to breathe and a chance to go to, to talk more. And, and the idea is that when we have this opportunity to actually explore further, to get to a place where we can truly talk about Jesus, at some point we're going to have to cross a line of discomfort. At some point we're going to have to ask a question or say something that, that has this big risk of being awkward, of maybe offending the person or making things really uncomfortable. Or it might, in that moment, open up this conversation where we recognize a hunger that we can speak to. But you never know until you have crossed that pain line. And I totally understand what he's talking about. Probably like many of you, I'm, I'm, I'm often hyper aware of how another person is feeling when I'm having a conversation with them. And I can think of times where, because I'm wanting to make sure that the person doesn't go, uh-oh, talking to a pastor, he might go there, that I go, oh, no, I'm cool, don't worry, I'm fine, we won't have to talk about those things. And I edit, and I think of being considerate about that, but I'm not. I'm actually, I'm failing to show compassion. Because their deepest need is to hear about Jesus. Look, I don't know always exactly what this looks like. It can be different things. A lot of times it's, it's going to be showing curiosity and, and asking questions. Say, hey, I know, I know you say you're spiritual but not religious. Or I know you talk about your, how you're Catholic. I'm really interested in that. Tell me more. What does that mean for you? And just seeing where the conversation goes. Sometimes it might involve just trying to be explicit about how God is involved in our life. You know, you know, this has been a hard week. I'll be honest. It's been really hard. But I will say there have been ways that I've actually, in, in tangible ways, seen God's kindness in this last week. And I've been really grateful for that. Or, or maybe it even is involved as bold 
holy as just saying, would you like to hear what I, what I believe about God? Again, this is not me drawing from some vast well of experience. I, I definitely recognize that there's so much that I need to grow in, but what is, what is absolutely certain to me is that this ministry of compassion that Jesus is calling to is going to involve courage. It's, it's going to involve being willing to step past that pain point because we care enough to experience awkwardness. This, Jesus calls us to a courageous compassion. And that, and that need for courage is all the more clear when we think about the second thing that is also very, very apparent in our passage, and that, that is that Jesus is calling us to a costly compassion. You know, what's striking to me is this is kind of the pep talk that no one ever gives. Jesus is sending his apostles out. This is their first time on the loan. And you would think he's going to, like, you know, like you think about the coach getting the team ready to go. And what Jesus basically says is this is going to be really hard. I mean, did you notice even as it very begins, it says, you know, beware of men. And, and beware of men, this is not talking about males. It's, it's the word for people. He's watch out for people, which is, if you think about it, really interesting because who is it that Jesus has compassion on? Who is it that Jesus is sending the apostles out to? He's sending them out to people. And so what he's saying is, because the world is broken, I'm sending you to the broken world, but you need to understand the very people you want to help, the very people you want to serve, sometimes are going to make things really hard for you. I mean, if we want bluntness, just look at verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. You know, I was thinking about this. Oftentimes, like, different Bible verses make inspirational posters. Can you imagine the inspirational poster here? You know, lots of smiling people, this large crowd of people. And, and the verse, you will be hated by everyone, Jesus. I mean, this feels like a demotivated poster, Right? But it's important for us to understand this. Jesus is actually making things clear for us that sometimes we forget. We, I think, sometimes think that when people are opposed to Christianity, when people have a problem in the church, it's because we're doing lots of things wrong. And to be clear, there are often times the church, <coughs> the church is doing, excuse me, I had a tickle with her, uh, the church is doing lots of things wrong. There are often times that the church is hypocritical, the church can be arrogant. Christians can be absolutely insensitive, and let me just say, if that is your experience this morning as you're joining us, I, I, I want to, on behalf of the church, apologize, because we are not representing Christ faithfully, because that's not who Jesus is. I mean, Jesus is humble, he is a person of integrity, there's this deep compassion and gentleness, and, and when you send us here, maybe how we're talking as a church, you might see at the back of a bulletin about how we are seeking to be Christ's beautiful church for the good of the world. In some ways, this aspiration is we want to do better. We want to show Jesus. But, but here's what Jesus is saying. Even if, even when a church is being the way it's supposed to be, even when the church is being compassionate and, and filled with integrity and is sensitive, he says, the world is going to hate why? Because of me. Because as long as we are not just acting, but we're actually speaking of Jesus, we're confronting people with Jesus, and how does the world treat Jesus? We know 
where this story goes, that Jesus, who comes with compassion, who comes to seek to love a broken world, is, is mocked, is beaten, is crucified. Because the, the help that Jesus gives in the, well, the deep wells of his compassion is a help that involves something that is threatening. He, he is calling people to surrender control. I mean, the very last verse that we looked at in our passage, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The, the solution that I'm giving, Jesus says, is you have to lose the life you think you have so that I can give you the life that you truly want. And that is threatening. And as a church, if we are faithfully proclaiming that, that will be threatening. I mean, Jesus just enumerates all the different ways that Christians who are faithful are likely to suffer. You will be imprisoned. You will be beaten. You will be killed, he says. And if we know the book of Acts, you see every single one of those things happening to the apostles. If you know church history, you see every one of those things happening. I think of in the, in the third century, the Roman emperor wanting to make sure that everyone was behind him, demanded that everyone offer a sacrifice on, on the behalf of him, on his name. Christians refused to see it as idolatry, and many were killed. And there are countless examples throughout century after century throughout the world of people being threatened by those who say Jesus is more important to us than anyone else, and therefore persecuted. Even today, we hear of beheadings in the Middle East. We hear of imprisonments in China. Jesus is, is, is telling us plainly, and he's not exaggerating. And it's not just at a political level. He says it's going to happen at a family level. Brother will betray brother. Parents and children will be divided. And I know stories of this. I have a friend of mine who grew up in a Muslim family. When she came to Christ, she had to run away. And for a while, her family would not speak to her at all. I have another friend who, whose, parent, whose family was nominally Christian, but when he truly came to Christ, he was seen as weird, and since then he has never been able to relate to his family in the same way. And I know of parents who feel like there is a wedge between them and their children because one or two of their children do not have that same love for Christ. There is cost. Jesus says it will be costly. And yes, we don't live right now in a country where we will be losing property, where we're going to be imprisoned. But we should ask ourselves the question, if, if we have not experienced this kind of opposition, if we have not experienced any kind of cost because of Jesus, we should ask, is it because God has just protected us? That could be. Or is it because we are afraid to be offensive? Is it because people have never felt confronted by Christ through us? The compassion that we are called to is a compassion, Jesus says, that is costly. So when we hear this, that this compassion is a courageous compassion, that this compassion is a costly compassion, if you are feeling overwhelmed, then you and I are in the very same place right now. And that's why it's so important for us to hear the third thing that Jesus is saying here, and that is that this compassion we are called to is not our compassion, first and foremost. It is Christ's compassion. 
This is not something that we're doing on our own accord. This is not something we're doing on our own strength. This begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. And in every aspect, it's about Jesus. And if we actually recognize that, only as we recognize that will we slowly be empowered to be able to step forward in the way that Jesus calls us to in this mission of compassion. Because likely you, like me, are feeling completely not up to this. And that's right. But, but Jesus says, you need to understand that I will go with you. So there's this part where Jesus says, when you appear before all of these powerful people, you don't need to be afraid because my spirit will give you the words to say. And what's awesome is if you, if you read Acts, you see that exact thing happening. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is before like every single powerful religious figure in all of Jerusalem. It's this power move trying to silence him. And remember, this is the same Peter who, before a servant girl, denied Jesus three times. But in this moment, before everyone, he speaks with boldness and clarity about Jesus. And as they're dismissed, it says, they were amazed that these uneducated spoke this way, and they remembered that they had been with Jesus. In other words, they're realizing that this is not just them, it's Jesus' power that's present. And my guess is some of you have actually experienced this phenomenon. There are times, and it doesn't always feel this way, I'm not trying to be unrealistic, but there are times that many will tell you that when we can move into this place of discomfort where we're wanting to speak about Jesus and we feel completely overwhelmed because it matters so much to us and we feel inadequate, there are times that you will find in those moments a kind of clarity that is unusual where you feel like you know what you're supposed to say. And that's because the Spirit is with you. Jesus is with you in this mission of compassion. Later on, Jesus says, you don't need to be afraid. I know that you're probably afraid of these people because they can kill you. But you need to realize that you have a God who doesn't just hold your body, but holds your soul and your eternal future. And he knows you. He, 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 can't, he pays attention to the sparrows. He knows every hair on your head. And you matter so much more to him than those sparrows. We confess the significance of this every month in the Heidelberg Catechism when we're saying, he, not a hair of our head will fall apart from the will of our Father in heaven. In fact, everything must work for our salvation. We don't need to be afraid as we move forward in this mission because Jesus is with you. And what's more, because this is Christ's compassion, we, we need to recognize that Jesus has attached his name to you. So I think one of the, the, the key reasons that we have such a hard time actually crossing that pain line and speaking openly is because we don't want to be disliked. That is so much, at least for me, I don't want to be looked down on. But here's what Jesus is telling you. If you're being faithful, you need to realize that when people are looking down on you for this, it's not you they dislike, it's me. Now, can you imagine a better reason to be disliked than because you remind people of Jesus. There's this place in Acts where after they have spoken about Jesus and are persecuted, it says the church rejoiced for they were accounted worthy to be persecuted for the name of Christ. We bear the name 
of the glorious Son of God. And Jesus even says in our passage that those who acknowledge me, I will acknowledge them before the Father. As we appear before the Father with Jesus, Jesus is like, those people are mine. I am proud to call them my own. We bear the name of Jesus. Jesus has attached his name to you. Perhaps the greatest encouragement in this, as we think about the fact that this isn't our compassion or our mission, it's Christ's compassion or Christ's mission, is that as we move forward in faithfulness, we can expect Jesus to work through us. The next verse of the passage that we didn't read, and I wish we had, it was verse 40. Uh, here's what Jesus says. He says, whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Just think about that. Whoever receives us as we are on this mission actually receives Jesus. So there are some times we know that when we cross this line of discomfort that people will reject us. Jesus is very transparent about this. But there are some times that the opposite will happen. And as we speak, people will receive and, and wants to know more. And, and will receive, as they are hearing us, they will receive Jesus. And just think about what that means. That, that in that moment, they will experience for the first time truly what it means that God loves them. In that moment, they will experience the release from their guilt, knowing that they are forgiven. In that moment, they will experience the power of the Holy Spirit beginning to work in them, make them whole. In that moment, for the first time, they will have a hope for the future unlike anything they've experienced before. Jesus will be at work in that moment, and you get to be a part of that. You know, one of the things that makes this year so hard is when we are looking and all of this stuff, the COVID stuff, the election stuff, and we feel so powerless, we can't do anything about any of that. But we're not powerless to do something. You actually have been given the means to do something extraordinarily significant. Because the greatest need anyone has is to know Jesus, and he has sent you to be a part of that work. You are not doing this on your own as we understand this mission. This is Jesus' love that you get to be a part of. This is Jesus' power that is at work in you. This is Jesus' reputation that's at stake, not your own. Is there anything that is more worth giving your life to than this? So as we close, I, I, I've been trying to signal a couple times, and I'll say it again explicitly. I, I feel very inadequate to, to actually be talking about this because I feel very, very immature in this aspect of my life. God has, by his grace, given me some different opportunities where I am able, have been able to share about Jesus and see people come to know him, and it's been awesome. But I have to admit, every single time that's happened, it's like God knew how cowardly I was, which basically put the conversation in my lap where there was nothing I could do but talk about him. It was, like, I, I feel very weak when it comes to this, very much wanting to kind of grow. I feel like I'm in a process of repentance, maybe as you feel it yourself. So I, I don't feel qualified to be the one who kind of does this closing challenge. And so I want instead to actually quote someone else, um, a guy by the name of Bob Fu. Uh, he was a China, uh, grew up in China, um, 
He became a Christian um, in college, not long after he had actually participated in the Tiananmen Square protests. And, uh, and so soon thereafter, he, he was a, a teacher, actually, of English at a communist school by day and leading Bible studies by night, which, you know, you can imagine there's a tension there that eventually led to him and his wife being imprisoned for two months in China. And, and he talks about constantly being interrogated, constantly being mocked. Eventually, they let him go, and it became apparent soon thereafter that he needed to escape. He fled to Hong Kong, eventually moved to America, and has been separated from the rest of his family ever since living in America. And, and I think of him because um, I heard him speak when Jennifer was uh, getting her master's during the commencement address, he was the one who spoke. And I distinctly remember him talking about one conversation he knew of between some Chinese business professionals and some American business professionals. And the Chinese professionals were, were speaking of, of this revival that was taking place in the Chinese business community. And they said, you know, sometimes over our business dealings, when we have a chance to talk about Jesus, or sometimes when we're having like power lunches, and we talk a little bit about what Jesus has done in their life, people are receiving this news and are being changed. We're seeing real fruit. And, and the Americans are just kind of amazed. And, and they say, you know what? We couldn't get away with that in our country. I mean, if we did this in the public square, you know, people could get really offended. Or, or we could even receive lawsuits. And as, as Fu tells the story, he says, and the Chinese professionals just responded, looking very confused, just asking two words. So what? And, and then in this address to, the, address to the graduates, Fu went on to say, I'm going to quote him directly, so what indeed? So what if people disagree with you or are uncomfortable with your faith? So what if powerful people are upset with you, or there are lawsuits? There are much worse things than this. I was once imprisoned for living out my faith, but if you are not careful, you will be imprisoned by your own culture and your own passivity. As long as you are living out of integrity and love, you should not keep silence out of fear. Perhaps you will come to value something that believers in my country have come to value, trusting in Jesus in the moment. For in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Look, I realize that this passage is coming to us at the church at kind of an unusual time because we are moving towards a time when we have very little face-to-face -face contact with anyone outside of our family. So I don't know exactly why God's timing is this, but I do know that we can at least do a few things. I do know that as we're hearing this passage, we can repent, like I am seeking to, and acknowledge personally where we have not been courageous as we're called to. We can pray. We can pray as we walk around our neighborhood. We can pray for our coworkers, and we can wait for God to open doors to us and give us the opportunity to participate with Christ in this mission of compassion. And so I'd like to invite us to do that even now, to, to spend time in prayer, both acknowledging where we have failed and asking for God's help and for him to be at work in and through us. In a couple minutes, I'll be leading some prayers. Would you please join with me in silence? 